Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Wolverine 24-7 podcast, your audio source for all things Michigan football, basketball, and recruiting. I'm your host, Zach Shaw. Steve Lorenz here with me. If you like today's episode, uh, one of our first since the football season was reinstated, be sure to uh, throw us a rating. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We're, we're pretty much on all of them. Um, be sure to check out all of our stories over at the MichiganInsider.com and Michigan.247Sports.com. Should be a fun episode, kind of rounding rounding up some of the uh, key news items from the last few days. I, I do think we're going to start to go to twice a week now that there is a football season upon us and, and there is stuff to talk about. So last time you heard from us, we talked about Michigan's the season being back in some capacity. There were a lot of, uh, a lot of things we still didn't know, and some of them we have, we have found out since then. And so we'll start. We, we fielded questions, underscore Zach Shaw, if you want to ever join that discussion. Uh, but we'll start with this one because this is probably the most significant, well, probably the least discussed, most recent news item Michigan has had is, is they have a schedule now. We now know who they will play and when. I don't think the who changed very much, but the when is something to keep an eye on. And Brian Hall asked, what will Michigan's 2020 record be? Uh, he said he's seen 7-1, and 6-2, and two, even 4-4. Four and four. So before, you know, the record thing is always tricky because it's basically, there's like two or three toss-up games on Michigan's schedule. There's probably four games I think we're all pretty confident that they'll win. Uh, and then... And then there's one that we, we I don't think anybody's predicting Michigan to win. And so it's really just how do you see Michigan versus Wisconsin, Penn State, Minnesota. But before we get to that, uh, did Steve, did, did your read of Michigan's new schedule, which is very similar to the old schedule for those that haven't seen it yet or necessarily read about that yet, they basically they, they took out the Northwestern game and then every Big Ten East team was scheduled to play two crossover home games and one crossover road game. And so they all lost the, they all lost essentially the same game. It's the home game against the team that isn't their protected crossover. So for Michigan, their crossover games are Wisconsin, who they're currently playing six years in a row, uh, Minnesota, which was going to be a road game. And then Purdue was the home game that got cut. So uh, Steve, with that said, did, did the schedule release change your view of Michigan's season from a schedule aspect alone, thinking this is a tough part of the schedule, or maybe, hey, this lines up slightly easier than it could have. Uh, did, did it change your viewpoint of things at all? Not so, no, so not a ton, not so much the actual like order of teams that they play necessarily. Mm-hmm. I mean, to be honest with you, I think the, the biggest thing might be that. Ambry Thomas unlikely to return for Michigan, right? And Minnesota might be re-adding Rashad Bateman back to their roster. Those yeah. two, those two transactions or those two uh, situations alone make that Minnesota game really, really interesting. Again, I think you'd argued before if Thomas had stayed. You know, Bateman was like what the first. He was like the first player in college football to opt out just about, wasn't he? I mean, he was right among the, the very first people to. Yeah. It was originally... him, Parsons and Rondell Moore were all yeah, like, like right before away. the season got canceled. Yeah. Yes. And so, you know, for a, there was a long stretch of time there where it, it looked like Ambry Thomas would be playing for Michigan. Rashad Bateman would not be for Minnesota. I think that's a pretty significant 
would have been a significant mismatch in Michigan's direction. Now it looks like it's the opposite. That game becomes really, really interesting as a season opener now. Uh, to Michigan's advantage, no crowd. I think yeah. that's one game where there be where no crowd will be a big advantage as far as Michigan goes, where it would have been compared to uh, normal. As far as, you know, that was kind of that, and you see it every year, it's that team has one huge home game, so they just go all of the energy is just <laughs> at a different level in that one game. Michigan seems to face one of those like every single year, right. I feel like. Uh, and I think that would have been the case here with Minnesota. So there is that. So if you're, you know, presuming that Joe Milton starts at quarterback for game one, not as quite as intimidating an atmosphere mm-hmm. for him to enter. So I do think there's that, but you know, that was really the, that was really my only my one real big takeaway from it was that Bateman may play for Minnesota. And I think it makes that game much, much more interesting. Otherwise, I mean, well, they, they were every other home and away, right? It's not, they're not going on the road twice Just about. Road. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. so, um, you know, yeah, you can, you can kind of gripe. I, I think there's just from the, you know, the way it played out, uh, you know, Ohio State might have one of the easiest schedules of any team in the country now, based on how it goes. I think, if, you know, Michigan fans maybe kind of, well, maybe any other team in this, in the conference uh, sees that. And it's like, well, they're trying to set it up for the Buckeyes to make a run nationally in an eight game schedule. But on Michigan's end, like you said, they're it's not like they took not like Michigan was playing like Illinois and Northwestern originally and got it replaced with Wisconsin, Minnesota. I mean, these were two teams they were gonna expected to play both in the first and second iterations of the schedule. So it shouldn't be like a shock necessarily that those are those teams are still on there. But man, it does make I mean that is it's a it's just a that's a strong eight game slate. Uh, to say, yeah. right. Yeah. I mean, for any of the contending teams in the conference, Michigan has definitely has the toughest road, no doubt. And and they were going to anyways. I mean, you, I don't think um, the argument that the big 10 like is trying to settle. They're not, they didn't do anything. They, they literally cut the same game out from every team schedule, right? For the big 10 West, it was the road non-protected crossover game for the big 10 East. It was the home non-protected crossover game so it's you know if, if Michigan fans are upset with the schedule which I, I I understand the frustration where it's like I think Penn State's got Iowa and um, I can't remember who their second one is and then Ohio State it's Illinois and Nebraska but that that really dates back to what was it 2012 when the Big Ten decided that Nebraska was going to be the Ohio State of the West for six years in Michigan and Wisconsin was going to be the Michigan of the, you know, they tried to do like competitively balanced teams, but I don't think they realized Nebraska was going to fall off a cliff. Uh, right. I mean, they currently, I, I saw this on Twitter today. They currently have the longest bowl drought in the big 10 West. Everyone else in the division has been to a bowl game more recently. So it's, it's, if you're, if you, if you're going to point your finger at anything, either a point at, hey, they should have just blown up the schedule and redone a separate one. Or B, which I don't think coaches would have wanted because they spent the whole summer game planning for certain teams. Uh, or B, point at the Big Ten for deciding weirdly uh, decisive fate, you know, where they say Michigan will play Wisconsin for six years and Ohio State will play Nebraska for six years. And they do switch in 2020, 
2021 or 2022. Just in time for Scott Frost to get it figured out. <laughs> right. I, I had a buddy who is convinced that Nebraska is going to be good when that switchover takes place, that they'll have it figured out. That's kind of funny. I mean, I don't know. (laughs) Maybe I I'm not based on what we've seen so far. Hard to hard to predict anything one way or another. But yeah, to your point, I mean, this the schedule is not that different. I think the one thing that that gives me pause and it's it's the same game that that you're talking about is opening up against Minnesota. I think if you could have asked Michigan what they wanted to do, they would have said open versus Michigan State at home and then travel to Minnesota. Get one game under Joe Milton's belt, this new offensive line, give them one game. Uh, you know, I guess I'd have to look at the chart to see exactly how many new starters, but the secondary, obviously, is going to be some new faces there. You know, give give Michigan, I think Michigan would have loved one, kind of like what they initially had where they, they hosted Purdue and then were scheduled to play Penn State and Minnesota. Yep. Um, kind of, I, I think one game could have, aided the Wolverines previously I kind of looked at Michigan I I I look at Minnesota I I don't quite see the same team that last year won the Outback Bowl finishes like a top 15 team I mean they lost seven defensive starters it sounds I mean they lost Tyler Johnson they lost their two main running backs sounds like I'm not quite sure about their offensive linemen I, I don't know if they're out one or two uh um Curtis, I mean, one entered the transfer portal, Curtis Dunlap, and I'm not, there was... Falele was yeah, opting out. Exa- yeah, that was the rumor. So, I mean, those are two. Now, the Dunlap, there was a rumor that he might be trying to come back or he may have taken his name off of the portal. That's something I was actually meant to check on today. Mm-hmm. Uh, but either way, yeah, I suppose you're right. Morgan yeah. and Bateman, right? I mean, that's does that kind of... Well, yeah, you? yeah, exactly. And they have, they have a new offensive coordinator. Uh, so, yeah, there's going to be... I think there's going to be some transition. So they're also looking at a similar situation as Michigan where they're like, Hey, we'd have loved to have hosted Illinois before hosting, you know, our biggest toughest opponent, maybe of the whole season. Uh, so that'd be the one thing that I looked at and kind of, because everything else looks pretty balanced. I, I think the big 10 for as much as everyone kind of was dunking on them for every single thing they did for about six weeks. It does seem like this, like this is a cool schedule and I, I do like the, the champions week. Uh, I'm curious to see, I, I, I might've missed this, but my hunch would be that that becomes an indoor game for everybody that they run out Ford field and, and Minnesota stadium and, and Lucas oil stadium for a weekend and have two or three games at each place. I think that's a really cool idea. I'd like to see the big 10 do that forever. Um, every year and just cut out one conference game. And then you have that ninth game. Um, you know, just a little bit more, more of a balanced schedule for teams, but regardless, yeah, uh, as far as record goes, I'm kind of, if you go game by game, I think my record predicted record for Michigan is, is slightly better than this, but I kind of see a six and three. I, I'm not, I think anyone who's saying four and four, um, I would remind them Michigan under Harbaugh, the only time they lost four big 10 games in a season was when they had two quarterback injuries uh, and and had to start three different quarterbacks. And they had like sophomores at pretty much every position. This team's a young team, this Wolverines team, but I don't, I don't know. I think they would beat the 2017 squad. I, 
I, I yeah. do. I mean, the offensive line is so much better. Even even if we don't know, I fully believe the offensive line this season would be better in 2017. I, I think that 2017 team had so many issues that, that they hadn't quite been able to figure out yet. Uh, the receiving game, tight end. I mean, even with Nico Collins' departure, I think the receivers are in a, a, a more deep, there's more depth, uh, there's more talent, there's more production, running backs. So, yeah, I, I have a hard time believing they'd lose four. It is a tough schedule. I'm not saying they can't lose four, but I think anyone saying four and four is kind of taking a couple Michigan departures and a reminder that the schedule is really tough and kind of combining it into a bit of an overreaction. So I'd say six and three. Uh, either they go six and two and they, they lose in that crossover game or they go um, five and three. And then they win that crossover game based on who they're playing. So my, my thing would be six and three. Steve, I, I, you and I think both don't love the record predictions, especially when there's so much that can change in the next five weeks. But, but any, any thoughts on, on kind of looking at the schedule and the record that they could have? Feels like a seven and one ceiling. And then I would argue, yeah, I think four and four is like the, flo- the absolute floor. So... Yeah, there you go. I mean, because again, I mean, you know, Michigan could go into Columbus and Fields could get could have COVID. You know, like or or Michigan's best player could. I mean, there's there's so many variables this year. I think predicting a record is completely useless because I think they're going to be week to week situations where guys like legit um, contributors could be out because of what's going on. I mean, this is, it's an automatic twenty one. So even if they have a false positive, you know, you're not going to get that answer. If you're tested the day of the game and, and end up with a false positive, we were talking about this on the recruiting insider pod for a minute yesterday. It's like that guy is not playing that day, no matter what, even if it's a false, but there, there's no turnaround time on something like that. So there's just so many variables. I say like all things evened out. Like if everybody stays healthy for every team, seven and one ceiling, you know, with a puncher's chance against Ohio state, if Milton, you know, if Milton's the real deal, then you'd give Michigan a puncher's chance in that game. Uh, just too much firepower for the Buckeyes just with Fields alone um, running the offense, I think, right now for them to, to, to give them more of a punt than a puncher's chance in that game. And then a 4-4 four and four floor. You know, you lose that opener to Minnesota, and then you have three – you know, if, if they were to lose that game, then you have, you know, three very difficult games with Wisconsin-Penn State. Ohio State but to me there's no doubt they could win the two at home you know they've had success yeah. against both of those they've had I mean they've literally outscored Penn State like 98 to like 17 the last two times mm-hmm. they've played in Ann Arbor so um so yeah seven one ceiling four and four floor answer will probably be somewhere in between right odds are so right right by the way Jim Harbaugh is 32 and 12 in Big Ten play in uh, in five seasons at Michigan, so that's I think that's seventy three percent winning percentage, just about. And so, what I bet what all twelve of those losses were probably to like top fifteen teams outside of. I think wasn't it just the only ones that weren't were the two Michigan State losses. Well, and, and yeah. Iowa on the that's road, right. but yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I yeah, I, I, I think. I, th- I don't think there's any question Michigan. I don't think anyone's saying Michigan is 
in serious trouble against a Michigan State right now or, or an Indiana or a Maryland. I think pretty much, I think it would be almost, they would need like a catastrophic amount of uh, injuries or players who can't play for them to be in true trouble more than four times this season. I think, I, I think you're right. I think the floor is kind of that four and four. And that would be, that would really surprise me. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good at not being surprised. That would surprise me quite a bit. <laughs> I mean, the defense, the defense is it's, I don't think the defense is getting enough. You know, they could have it easily have a first team all conference guy at all three levels. This they year. could, they could, you know, so, so let's, let's transition to that defense actually. So JTOG X says, according to advanced analytics, Don Brown went ran 47% zone coverage last year as opposed to 13% in 2018. What changes need to be made for Michigan to play better defensively in big games, AK Ohio State? So I think the reason I transition to this one next is because I think you bring up a really good point. I think they actually have um, put true potential like first-team All-Big Ten stars at every position. And I, I don't know if that was necessarily the case last season. Aiden Hutchinson uh, was a first-year starter arguably as was Quiddy Pay. Uh, Cameron Grown, when the season started, wasn't even a starter. And then I, I assume Dax Hill is the, the guy in the third level that you're discussing. Yep. Uh, true freshman. True freshman in a, in a complex system. So I think I think the fact that it, it sounds like every, the, the entire defense is on board to play. Um, and then you have some guys who can be second or third team all-conference players. A Brad Hawkins, a you know Carlo Kemp, Chris Hinton. Josh Ross, you know, we can, we can see maybe other players who could step up, but without having seen a game yet, uh, not, not necessarily sure what to predict, but I, I think the star power helps uh, again in the big games. I think that's, that's the big thing is you need players who can, well, like think about Aiden Hutchinson and how good he looked uh, against Alabama and Ohio state at times last season. And so if he can, ascend just a little bit more I, you know, the reports and actually seeing him in person seems like he's slimmed down a little bit um, so maybe quarterback pressures turn into sacks because he's a step quicker uh, you know Dax Hill does he transition to an all-american type of player that can you know contain Ohio State's passing attack a little bit you, know, you wonder about Quiddy Pay and his quickness or, or his ability against the read option McGrone can he be an addition kind of like what Devin Bush was maybe not quite as fast but maybe he can do some other things as well so I think the star power helps uh for Michigan I think the overall speed in the secondary we'll have to see does seem like between Hill Hawkins you know DJ Turner um some of these other players that they have in their depth seems like they have some pretty good speed in the secondary and then I I think ultimately it's it's a matter of expectations. I think someone posted on our board today. Um, the money games are, are in the thirties and forties now. I mean, Clem, Ohio state, great defense all season. You know, they face, I think they gave up what 27 points to Michigan in, in a pretty strong performance. And then against Clemson, they gave up 29 and it could have been even more. And Clemson had, I think the number one defense all season. They face LSU granted, a very good LSU team, but they give up what 44 points and 400 yards of offense. And so I don't, I don't, I think the days of 
stifling a, a you know the nation's best offense and holding them to to 10 15 points i think those are probably gone i, I think it's almost impossible for i think i think the defensive performances are going to look a lot more like what alabama did where they were shut down in parts they had a few big plays but i think really it, i i can't imagine ohio state being held below 20 points uh now 50 60 different discussion right that's that's the star power that's the the execution that's the actually showing it on the field but i i i do think ohio state probably will never be held below 20 points against a big 10 team or any team ever again unless there's like a foot of snow on the ground uh, and so so to me those are those are kind of my thoughts on the defense i i know don brown uh, gets a lot of the criticism and I, I see where a good amount of it comes from. I, I, you know, start to wonder, especially when it's Ohio state, uh, do have they kind of predicted his schemes at this point or predicted what he's going to counter certain plays with uh, predictability, something to keep an eye on. But I, I, I think it's star power. I think it's speed. And then I think it's just understanding that most of these big money games are going to be high scoring affairs these days. And you just need an offense to keep up. Yeah, I think so. I, I think for Michigan specifically, I think just everyone always points to the defensive backfield when I think it's in the big games. Mm. I think a lot of times it's been the complete opposite. It's been yeah. the lack of pass rush in big games. Now we've said this a thousand times. Uh, eight, there was the 18. I don't think Dwayne Haskins was literally touched by a yeah, clean, clean jersey at the end of the game. Right. I mean, yeah. and, and it's like, but people wanted to blame Brandon Watson when you can only cover guys for so long, uh, let alone guys of, you know, that uh, Ohio state skill position of those guys of that caliber that you can cover for so long. Mind you, Brandon Watson still in the pros and on an active roster right now in the NFL. Uh, you know, to me, it's really, to me, it's really come down to it, it is trench play for me. Ohio State last year, Dobbins, 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 over the top. I mean, just classic <laughs> football. Well, you know what I mean? It's like, mm-hmm. um, don't care how open Chris Olave was when you're getting gashed up the middle and giving up eight, nine yards of rush. Your receivers are going to be open because it's you have to respect the run at that point. So, to me, to me I think Michigan's got to win some of these big games down in the trenches to, to you know – because, yeah, like you said, I think teams are going to get theirs now, especially elite, these elite offenses. The key might be, yes, you want an offense that can keep up, but there's got to be that those one or two possessions where you can maybe force a mistake, you know, force a turnover. Like, those are that's where I think you can make a difference defensively. Right. It's Yeah, like you said, it's not going to be a uh, – you know, Michigan's not going to be winning that game 13-9 to anytime soon like they did <laughs> back in the day. I, you know, it's, it is. It's going to be – you know, yeah, 33 to 29 or something like that instead. But uh, so for me, I think it comes down to getting more pressure on the quarterback on a consistent basis and, and forcing the back or the running, whoever, just uh, creating a couple mistakes to give your offense another opportunity. I, I really think that's what it comes down to in the big ones. Um, again, there's like specific instances. We I think we've talked about last year's Penn State game a hundred times about, you know, Defensively, Michigan was amazing for 95% of that game, but the 5% right. they weren't led to what three, at least three touchdowns. So 
Uh, you know, there is that. There are instances like that. But by and large, though, in my opinion, in the big games, it's it's getting to the quarterback and creating one or two mistakes. You get more than one or two mistakes, then, yeah, your, your chances of winning are even greater, obviously. But just getting a couple mistakes to give the – get the ball back in your offense's hands and try to put some more points on the board. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't have the pressure stats from Michigan's losses to uh, Wisconsin, Ohio state and Alabama. I don't have them handy, but I think there was a common theme in all three where I think Michigan was uh, and granted in, in the citrus bowl. And then for a decent amount of the Ohio state game, uh, they were, well, actually you'd argue the Wisconsin game, shorthanded due to injuries at defensive tackle, but they they need ascension or, you know, star caliber production at defensive tackle. And and I think that's becoming true for every college football team. I th- I, I, I'd have to dig in a little bit, but I think I've seen different articles out there that say uh, defensive tackles are becoming critically important to championship caliber uh, defenses. In, in today's college football. And, and so Carlo Kemp, Chris Hinton, you know, Mozzie Smith, um, whoever else emerges in that group. I mean, that was, it was painfully apparent just from a viewing standpoint against Wisconsin. And then I feel like Ohio state granted Dobbins was really good and they have a really good offensive line, but same time, you know, Alabama rushed for more than five yards of carry when I don't even think, Alabama was like depending on it. it it just got it you know every third and four it seemed like they got a first down yep you know Ohio State they they carry the ball a little bit more they had 50 rushes uh but 264 yards so um pretty much got to do whatever they wanted four rushing touchdowns and you got to think in a, in a season like this where it's going to be below freezing for probably three of Michigan's games this season uh, that's going to be extra important is is stopping the run and and then getting getting pressure when when it is time to pass. So anyway, uh, we can switch to the offense sub side of things. Linda Mulig says, "I want to know the real skinny on Joe Milton." So this is something that we had. I don't think we touched it on it in our last episode. We did touch on it in our depth chart episode. We said we think Joe Milton is the new starting quarterback. So feel free to go listen to that if you want. But, um, you know, he, Linda points out he's been praised on social media. Uh, he hasn't really shown much in games at Michigan. And so she's asking, uh, does he have a steep learning curve coming? And so, Steve, I, I know your reaction was pretty much the same as mine. We don't get to see practices. And, and they're not going to have some games against, you know, Ball State or Arkansas State or anything this year. It's, we're going to find out October 24th if Joe Milton is Michigan's next big thing. You know, we can, you know, Urban Meyer compared him to Cam Newton. I think Matt Leinart did as well. Um, you know, we've heard from different players who, who rave about uh, his arm and his leadership. He's taken leadership classes, uh, kind of really put in a lot of work to get to this point. But yeah, if you ask me right now, I actually, some, some people have how, how good is Joe Milton right now? I'd say, I don't know, probably good enough to start, but I don't know anything else because we, we don't see anything else. 
I mean, I don't think we've even heard from uh, Jim Harbaugh or Josh Gaddis about it. So, yeah, the the uh, real skinny, hard to hard to offer that. Does have a good arm. Seems to have the intangibles down. Uh, seems to be athletic enough to to you know avoid pressure or make make an occasional play here and there. Uh, he is huge. He's what six five, two fifty. So maybe some short yardage situations as well. But Steve, any anything? We I wrote about it on Friday. I think I think we've all written various Joe Milton pieces in the past few days. Uh, he is does appear to be Michigan's new starting quarterback. Uh, any anything in addition to what we've already discussed that that fans should know or take a look at? Uh, was, they were excited. They're really excited about the potential. But like you said, that's it's like I don't even think the staff knows how good they haven't had a pad practice yet. yet. Yeah, yeah, you know, so it's like it's hard to uh, to give the real skinny on Joe Milton when I would probably argue that the staff themselves is kind of waiting to see, right? I mean, it's that's I think that's kind of what you go through anytime you have a new starting quarterback. Uh, I think with Milton, I think it's it's really it's kind of the same talking points that we've always brought up with him: huge seal, huge arm, huge ceiling. Just the in, the the knock has been was in high school, you know, just the inconsistency, but that's, you know, with a raw talent like his, like him, that's kind of, that's normal. I think the fact that he appears to have won this job and maybe won it like kind of seems the more we hear that he kind of took it and ran with it. Um, mm-hmm. That's, that's a good sign. I would think, you know, especially when you consider the excitement the staff has always had for him, uh, you know, for him to, to potentially kind of just take it and run with it like that, I think is that's a got to look at that as a positive sign. But again, until we actually, yeah, we got to see it for four quarters. We've really only seen him uh, in blowout types stuff, you know, um, you know, and so, yeah, we're in the same boat as everybody else in that regard. We can also just only go on what we hear. Uh, what we hear is that he's performed really, really well. His work ethic is second to none. That's not really an exaggeration from from what I know. Just due to the fact that that's what we reported about him when he had even just committed to Michigan. Right. Was that was one of the things that they loved about him? Well, so I went he, back and looked. Sorry to cut you no. off, but I know I know Jim Harbaugh. The first time he was asked about Joe Milton since Milton arrived to campus, he had this pretty lengthy. Uh, quote that was basically talking about how Milton was approaching practices like games like he was he was you know praying before the practice started he was um, his intensity and focus was yep. was really uh, significant kind of that that wear cleats everywhere always locked in kind of kind of you know going down the halls and practicing his uh, you know his drops and and you know practicing kind of his motions and things like that so um to to your point, this was not just talk about you know every recruit. You got to think every recruit that's a four star <laughs> or higher you know, is is raved. About, their work ethic is raved about. I mean, this was something that, in addition to being excited about him as a recruit, even as a backup, they were like, man, this this guy just he just works at a different level, right? I mean, 
the story of his recruitment was that he visited campus the same weekend as as Dorian Thompson Robinson, who's now UCLA starting quarterback, mm-hmm. and at the time was kind of viewed as the number one target for Michigan. And that that visit being around both guys for an entire weekend kind of flipped their board a little bit. And then Milton became the number one guy. And then they got him. So, you know, and we see Thompson Robinson's had a pretty decent career at UCLA so far. I think he's been kind of thrown into a, a tough spot right. for a young guy. But I think he had a pretty good year last year. You know, look, you can definitely see there's some talent there, no doubt about it. Uh, you know, so they, you know, that was kind of, that was always an interesting story, you know, sort of backdrop to his recruitment there a little bit. So, yeah, it's so like I've said, I think I've said it many times. I, they were as excited about him committing as almost any kid that I've seen them get since I've been doing this, uh, especially under Harbaugh. So, yeah, I mean, that's like, but again, like the, that he didn't read well and was slow on making decisions. That's stuff we have no idea if that's going to still be the case or if that's, you know what I mean? Like that's stuff you got to see in a game. And, and yes, well, I, there's definitely gonna be some learning curve. He's not going to come out and light the world on fire. Right. But does that amount of talent, arm talent and work ethic, does that, will that offset the inevitable mistakes that a first year quarterback is going to make I, that's kind of probably really the big question so yeah yeah i think you know, I, I i talked with a few michigan fans this weekend and they were they were like really excited about his potential and it's kind of like guys michigan if if milton was going to be a heisman winner this year i think they, michigan would have made sure that he was playing a little bit more like he'll, he i think he'll be i think he can be very good but I think the idea that he's going to suddenly be a top three, top five quarterback in his first year as a starter, uh, that, that might be a tougher sell. It could happen. I'm not going to rule it out. But I think, I think the one thing Michigan fans might want to do is just reel those expectations in a little bit. Because we talk about how his ceiling. Just knowing the history of football and players developing, I don't think Joe Milton is at his ceiling right now. I think he's... I think he's in a pretty good spot, and I think it's significant that that he seemed to kind of emerge as the starting quarterback really by week two of fall camp, and there hasn't been, there wasn't much back and forth once that once that became apparent. That's significant because, you know, I, I Michigan really likes its other quarterbacks. You know, it's thrown Dylan McCaffrey in, into you know really important situations in the scope of their season before. And so, yeah, for Milton to kind of run away with it is something. I think Michigan fans do this to themselves every year, though, where they look at, like, who hasn't played yet, and they're like, that guy's going to be a, you know, Big Ten Offensive Player of the Year, Heisman winner right now. And that's that's just, historically speaking, not not the case. Um, so we'll have to see. I, I can't wait to hear more. I think we are going to start to hear from more players and coaches. And, Steve, I don't know about you. I think. Michigan is in a great spot that they know who the starting quarterback is early. I think that benefits them. I think they can work. They can prepare all, you know, and, and work with Milton, figure out which plays work, which ones don't work. Instead of having to figure out who the starting quarterback is these next four or five weeks, they can go to practice and say, okay, how do, how, how does our team get the most out of Joe Milton? This I think that's where you might see a lot of progress because, 
you know, we talk about how we don't know and how far he's come. He can still improve a lot in five weeks. I have to think he can. I mean, that's basically an extra fall camp that Michigan gets before the season begins. I agree. No, I think I I totally agree. And and I also agree if you have a close race that goes along this you know the distance it is what it is but I agree that I think it's it's advantageous if you do have somebody like establish themselves early on, right? I mean it gives the team you saw the one thing I noticed and and this is something I think had been mentioned was two things were two things. One, they're kind of related, but one, how many of the players seem to kind of publicly get excited about Milton after mm-hmm. all this news kind of came out about what McCaffrey's is like, it seemed like the team, a lot of the guys publicly on social media kind of already rallied around him. So you know that there's a lot of guys on the roster happy. And then also one of the, uh, I think Sam had reported is that Milton blocking for Milton was one of the reasons that Mayfield had a change of heart. Yeah. You know, and like, to me, that's like, that's, that's significant. I mean, that's, you know, you know what I mean? So you talk about it, it, it you feel like he's a guy that the, the, you know, you got to get, you get the sense that the players have seen the work that he's put in then. Right. I mean, that's kind of, you know, so, so yeah, ha- get that, put that all together. I think you got, you got something potentially there. Uh, so mm-hmm. just have to, we'll just have to see. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think it happens every year. I, we're not trying to say this is some unique thing. But yes, when players are fired up about Michigan naming a starting quarterback and they're, and they're publicly excited about it, and, and I know Josh Ross and Giles Jackson spoke a lot about it the other day, well, now you have five weeks to kind of harness that energy into, can the offense get a little bit better? Can, you know, can this um, game plan or scheme that they're going to take to Minnesota be a little bit more refined? Or maybe even, can, can Milton get even closer to that ceiling? So that's something... To monitor, I know that was a really lengthy way to not answer your question, Linda. But uh, I promise, you know, as soon as as soon as we know something, it it, it gets reported. Uh, but you know, without being able to see practices, without being able to really see any tune-up exhibition game, you know, it's it's just going to be tough for for anyone to know. And I, I'm sure Michigan will try to use that to its advantage, you know, because Minnesota has no idea had a game plan for Joe Milton right now. I mean, maybe not no idea, but they're, they're, in, a, they're in the same spot we are, which is not really knowing what he's going to be. Uh, switching to a different part of the offense, Tom A. Woods says, what is the wide receiver depth chart looking like without Nico Collins? Uh, that was another thing. We, we kind of hinted that that was probably a possibility or a probability last week, but now Nico Collins is not part of Michigan's team. I guess I guess the door I'm not sure. I guess there's a small chance that he could come back, but but in ter- terms of your question, if Nico Collins does not play, what does the depth chart look like? Well, Ronnie Bell led the team in receiving yards and receptions last year. Uh figure he'll play. Curious to see how he goes, how Michigan uses him on the outside versus uh maybe more of a slot position. I think the clear replacement for Nico is Cornelius Johnson, six foot three. Um, you know, a guy that, that Michigan has always thought did things the right way. I mean, he's, he's really smart. Uh, he's really, um, and you, and you can kind of see he, he, he doesn't make a lot of 
mental mistakes on the field. Uh, and I think, I mean, he's also pretty big and athletic too. <laughs> so, so he's probably the main guy. If you're asking who replaces him, it's probably Cornelius Johnson one-to-one. And then, you know, we've talked about Giles Jackson, uh, Roman Wilson, AJ Henning, Mike Sane still, you know, I don't think any of them would be lining up on the outside like Nico Collins will, but does Michigan change its, its game plan to kind of th- fire it to those guys? Uh, because they can make plays. It might not be the deep 50-50 ball that you know they're, they're chucking down into the corner of the end zone, but maybe they can be productive in a lot of different ways. And so that's, I don't know about you, Steve. I actually don't think the wide receiver group is in, in major trouble. And that's not a knock on Nico Collins. I thought he was a really, really exceptional player. But I actually think that they've built some depth and some speed that they really haven't had before. You know, I've looked at their track times, and and this is this is, from a speed standpoint, this receiver group stacks up with anyone in the Big Ten. I haven't necessarily looked all around the country, but it's a pretty good group. And then you start to wonder for some of those red zone jump ball situations. They do have some tight ends: Eric All, Nick Eubanks, uh, Luke Schoonmaker, who might be able to to help with that. So, um, I don't know. What do you? Are there any names that that fans should? you know, take extra note of or be extra familiar with, with Nico Collins' departure? Well, I think Cornelius, probably the biggest one, obviously. Mm -hmm. I'm glad you mentioned the tight ends at the end, though, because I think that's another area where, you know, Michigan may be able to continue to mix things up in the passing game. The other thing, too, and, you know, we'll see. i I, be honest with you. I, I thought, personally, thought that one of, Patterson's biggest weaknesses. Michigan never had no screen game hmm. with Patterson and McCaffrey. If you actually go back and watch, you know, obviously we know, we know McCaffrey probably not going to be around or is is gone. But still, even in his limited time, it's like Michigan's screen game was more effective with McCaffrey. Uh, you you bring Chris Evans back, who hmm. you know we've talked a little bit about what what I, I guess what I'm getting at is is I think Michigan has enough of a variety of guys at every position skill wise to where I I think now the onus will be kind of on Josh Gaddis on how to utilize all of it properly because right. because Nico Collins is like a, the perfect like he he's not calling him a safety valve is is underselling his his impact but that's kind of like having a guy like that who you can just throw it up to, you know, is, is really, it's one of the best things you can have in football, you know, as a guy that can win one-on-one matchups pretty easily. Uh, so, you know, yeah, I think Cornelius Johnson becomes an important player for them this year. He played in every game last year, whether it be on offense or on special teams. So that that's, you know, we've always said that's one of the biggest indicators that the staff really likes a guy. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but then, yeah, they're, they're faster now at, at, especially just at wide out alone than they have been in years um now part of that is to do to the true freshman that they've brought in who we haven't seen yet we don't know but been great reports on roman wilson who i think i i thought i'd said he's the steal of the class i don't know i've been right on almost all of those so far going back to chris evans in 16 when we first kind of started doing that but don't hurt your back there well, you know, it's <laughs> it's just like, you know, the oh, well, every year we hear about practice hype. We've talked about this a million times too. Uh, 
but usually it's true. The guy ends up being a good player. Uh, but we heard a lot of good things. You know, I think Sam had a report about Roman Wilson. I've heard good things about Roman Wilson as well. Uh, A.J. Henning, kind of that other Giles Jackson. I could see Henning being a special teams guy too. But, yeah, I think really what it turns into is, yeah, Johnson becomes important, and then the onus is on Gaddis to kind of utilize these different this variety of guys that they have at back, receiver, and tight end, you know, to kind of, you know, circum uh like kind of make up for for the loss of Collins because it is it's going to be a little bit of a different offense without him in there Mm -hmm. yeah I think the one question I have is is with Cornelius Johnson is because I mean his I just went back and looked I mean his um speed and shuttle times they're they're really exceptional for someone his size which I guess sounds kind of familiar to Nico Collins it's just can if he can develop the strength because in the Big Ten, you are kind of getting blanketed. I think they, I think anyone who's watched can see they don't like to call pass interference as much as, um, as much as one would think. And so you're going to have to fight off some of these uh, more physical approaches that defensive backs will take. And, and that was always maybe. I mean, it's not like Cornelius Johnson had a lot of knocks on his game. He was a he was ranked 160th in our recruiting rankings for 2019. So. Uh, no slouch, but I think the strength was something that I think Michigan expected him to add this offseason and then kind of be ready to go. Also worth noting that Michigan returns their leading receiver. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) In receptions and yardage in Ronnie Bell. Well, he's he's a leader too. Right, exactly. Yeah, all the talk is about no Nico, but... There's a guy in the roster who had more receptions and more yards than Collins did last year. Who's going to be back, you know? So, right. um, you know, can't, can't forget about him. I mean, he's, uh, you know, he was a great player for them last year. So, and he was only a sophomore. It's yep. not like his, I mean, I guess we'll have to see. Um, yeah. They've got a few guys. Yeah. I, I, if, if Josh Gaddis is, is worth, if he's worth the hype as offensive coordinator, he'll find a way because they've got guys. I mean, I just looked up Roman Wilson, his shuttle time, 100 meter dash time, and 200 meter dash time all faster than Rondell Moore. There you go. And, and I'm not saying he's going to come in and be Rondell Moore, but an offensive coordinator uh, who's a who's a top shelf offensive coordinator will find a way to look at this offense. And you bring up a good point about the running backs too and find a way to, to make something, make a pretty good offense out of this group. I mean, they have, they have speed, they have um, experience, they have production, you know, they have guys who are really efficient, you know, Giles Jackson, nine catches on 10 targets last season. Um, you know, pretty much every time he touched the ball, he was getting at least seven or eight yards. So yeah, we'll have to see uh, final question of this episode. Shane Majewski says, does a lack of championship hurt Michigan at times when it comes to players sitting out bowl games slash leaving early for the draft? Seems OSU's players would give anything to play another game there when Michigan's players tend to leave early at first chance. I'm maybe way off on this. I don't think he's way off. No. Uh, yeah, yeah. I think, I think there's certainly something. I mean, I think last week was like the perfect example where Wyatt Davis... And, and Sean Wade, two guys who probably could have left early back in, at the end of the 2019 season, both decide to opt back in. 
whereas Michigan loses Nico Collins and Ambry Thomas. And um, so I, I don't think he's way off. I, I think it gets exaggerated a little bit where I think Ohio State, they still lose a lot of players early to the NFL draft every year. I mean, wasn't it, was it 2017 that they lost like eight or nine or 10 guys early? And some of them ended up not even being drafted. So I don't think it's, I mean, I think every good program deals with this to an extent. Uh, Does seem like Michigan loses those battles a little bit more than than Ohio State does. And I do think it's championship contention. I mean, you think about early on, and I think about the 2015 team. They had a lot of guys stick around for another year for that team. And I think a big part of it was they, every single one of them felt like if they came back, they could be part of a national championship team. And so as far as sitting out bowl games, that is absolutely related to what the bowl game is. I think if Ohio State played in, in the Citrus Bowl, they'd have a lot of players sit out too. Oh, they probably have 12, 14 players sit out of that game if it wasn't a playoff game at Ohio State with all those guys, with as many Or a Rose Bowl, yeah. Right, with as many draft picks as they pump out every year, all those guys would sit. I'd be shocked if, you know. Yeah. So, but, but in terms of this opting in versus choosing to go to the draft slash coming back for another season, things like that, uh, yeah, Michigan probably loses more of those battles than I think one would think, especially for some of the players. It, 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 they seem to be drafted lower. I will say NFL rookies make a lot more money than they used to, uh, and you have a better chance of success. Michigan's draft success, the proof's kind of in the pudding. I mean, guys are getting drafted, but, but yeah, there's something, there's, there's a little bit to it. I don't think Shane's completely off. So Steve, your thoughts to his question. Yeah, I think he's, I think he's pretty close to being spot. I actually don't really strongly disagree with that at all. I think it's a good, you know, that's a good point. I mean, there's really nothing else to say. If Michigan was playing in the playoffs, then yeah. I think the low, well, many of those guys would play. I think it's pretty much that simple. So, um, and I do think like you see Wyatt Davis and Sean Wade come back or opt back in. I think it's 100%. And I think you would, we had mentioned this a couple weeks ago uh, was because Ohio state would have been the, what the preseason number one or two team, right? Yeah. Number two in the AP poll. Yeah. I mean, so there's, you know, and and I think especially you take a guy like Davis, he's you know he's, even if a guy like that got hurt, I guess I don't think his stock is going to fall that mm-hmm. far, right? I mean, it'd have to be like a very bad like injury for it to impact he's, his draft stock, right? He and, already was named to the Big Ten's All Decade Offensive yeah, Line. I mean, it's it's <laughs> which is. You know, that's it's crazy. Uh, awesome player, but yeah, this the, but yeah. So I think it, it is. It's because the they have a legitimate chance to make another run, and I think. And also, you got to remember, you know, I mean, the, the work that these guys put in in what's been the weirdest off season ever, and probably will be the weirdest off season ever for all of them. You kind of think of all the time, the effort, the work that not only they've put in, but that they've seen their teammates put in. You know, to play eight, nine games with these guys to finish out. I think that also 
you know, knowing that they, that the, the ceiling is really high, I think does make a difference. So, yeah, I mean, if, if Michigan was, if you put the shoe on the other foot, then yeah, I think it'd be the same thing. Mm-hmm. I just think it's, it's less about see to me, it's less about the, I don't think it's a culture thing at all. I think it's that it's just a, just having consistent success, which that might be a product of culture. But what I'm saying is it's not a deal where like Michigan's guys are looking to just get the hell out of there whenever at, at the first right. opportunity, it's just, you know, simple pro weighing the pros and cons of the situation and, and making an informed decision based off of that stuff. And, and, you know, we don't, we, we haven't heard much from Ambry Thomas and Nico Collins. We don't know their family situation. There could be a million different reasons for right. them to not play this season or start preparing for the NFL draft early. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, Ambry had colitis or has colitis. So it's, um, you know, he's at a higher risk. I don't, I don't know enough about these situations to, to weigh in. Um, and I will say, I think one thing worth keeping an eye on is if you're going to claim Ohio State has this and Michigan has this, make sure you're looking at the full numbers. And maybe I'll dig into the full numbers. But Michigan did have, I mean, Quiddy Pay, universally seen as a, or not universally, but seems to be a consensus first-round pick. He's playing. Aiden Hutchinson, Cam McGrone, two guys who were in CBS Sports um, Top 100 draft big board for 2021. I think, I think Cameron Grone even snuck into their first round. They're playing this season. Jalen Mayfield opted out, opted back in. So it's, it's not like the whole team is falling apart at the seams and declaring to go pro. I mean, you're talking about two players um, on a team that has a lot, that's going to have more than two players drafted. So I definitely see where he's coming from. And I think this, this past week was kind of, uh, really, really, it was like right in front of everybody's eyes. And so I definitely get, and Justin Fields is another guy where does he need a third season? You know, a couple, a couple scouts might think so, but I, he looked pretty darn good last season. So I get, I get where Michigan fans kind of look and say, why can't Michigan be like that? And to that, I would say, well, they're kind, they're more like that than you think. But, you know, they did have a, what, 20 ish players, a 25 players in a, rally or a march to save the season it's not like it was it's not like a completely different world in ann arbor and then too i do think you have to look at the championship potential because i i i mean i've seen clemson both twice this year watched a few of their games from last season as well recently i think i'd take ohio state over clemson right now i i guess we still have to see alabama and what they look like but i think ohio state you know, I don't care. I would, I think I would rank them number one. So, um, on that note, I guess <laughs> those yeah, are the questions to, we had. Yeah. Great, yeah. Hope, yeah. No, no but lots of stuff. Hey, maybe, maybe I'll study this this week. Uh, you know, we're, we're trying to find different, different things to write about. Lots of, um, lots of content should be coming over at Michigan at 24, seven sports.com, be it on the recruiting front, the basketball front or the football front. We'll have you covered. We also have podcasts, uh, you know, for recruiting and for basketball in addition to this one. And we are less than five weeks away from a season. So, and I know we've said that before. Uh, <laughs> Got to think this is, uh, might, might hold a little bit better this time, but, but still, uh, definitely appreciate the listens, appreciate the positive feedback, appreciate the questions for helping get this show going. 
For Steve Renz, I'm Zach Shaw. This has been the Wolverine 24-7 Podcast. Hope you had fun. Hope you learned something. We'll see you next time.